Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Janet Alliker. Janet, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Josh. How are you? I'm very good. Glad to have you here. And before we get into what you talking about, your experiences, I have to express gratitude toward you because you've influenced this podcast so much. And I'm curious, you initiated listener, bring listeners on. And, and you didn't say like, Josh, here's what you should do. You just suggested it. And then that also led to answering listener questions. And I'm curious what it's like for your perspective, having heard your influence on the podcast of other guests, other listeners coming on as guests and hearing your questions answered. Um, well, I've only, I've only heard one. I think you've done two listener episodes. I've heard the, the guy I think in Norway and I can't remember what his, um, eco challenge was, but it was really interesting for me to hear someone else in a similar position to me that'd been listening to it for a long time. Um, and then, you know, had been influenced already, but then come on and had the conversation with you and gone through the Spodek method. Really interesting. And I'm looking forward to, uh, hearing more of those. I think that that everyday experience of an individual trying to reduce their pollution is just really, really interesting and useful. Um, and then what was your other question? Was you asking about the ask me anything questions that you'd sent? Yeah, the listener questions. Listener questions. So I remember asking you about when you'd been challenged and you wanted to do something that was polluting and you, and you had to face the challenge and it was you'd been for a long bike ride um upstate new york i can't remember what it was for and you were you were talking about that and how you were going to get back does this ring any bells with you yeah i rode my bike up to the farm where my vegetables come from every labor day end of summer they host a a, a potluck lunch and in past years pre-pandemic there, someone would organize a bus to go up from New York City, and they're not. They didn't organize this year, and so I decided to ride my bike. It's about 125 miles, and it turns out there's a lot more hills than I expected, so I didn't make it quite the whole way. My mom picked me up. My mom and stepfather picked me up. Right, and and when in that in that in that situation, was there a point where you wondered whether you could do the whole 125? You know, should you push yourself? There was that. There was also that my, when my mom and stepfather, they offered to give me a ride. I, I, went, I went up knowing I was going to take the train back, but it's far from the farm to the train station. So I was yeah. going to ask people, other people at the potluck, if anyone was either driving back all the way to the city or to subway range or at least to a, a train station. My stepfather offered to drive me there. Yeah. And the train station they were going to take me to, that wasn't going to work for well, – Oh, that train wasn't going to like 8 p.m.? Yeah. And so they ended up driving me a long way to a different train station. And I didn't want that, but I, w I was stuck into that. And I was, how do I tell them this didn't work out at all? Because now they ended up driving an extra two hours. That totally, un to the extent that, I mean, okay, look, the ride was mainly for the experience and yeah. enjoying the ride. Yeah. But to the extent that they did this extra driving, it undid whatever savings I had. Yeah. How do I how do I say to them, I appreciate what you're doing, but this is really backward and, and they wouldn't under yeah, family issues are, are always a big pain. Yeah, but in that situation, there wasn't really any other option though, because there was no one else that was, was able to give you a lift. 
there would have been if I hadn't accepted if if they had realized that my goal wasn't just convenience and comfort, okay, but not to pollute, then they wouldn't have. If I'd realized, I wouldn't have accepted the offer. Okay. And I would have asked other people oh, as, I see. as according to my original plan. But once I was in the car with them, right? Then I was, then I was kind of well, I was kind of stuck. But then I realized, looking back now, maybe I should have said, just drop me off. I'm going to ride the, I'm going to okay. ride the bike the rest of the way. Yeah, and that would have been a challenge, but I could have done it. Okay. So interesting. So that example was where your um, mum and stepdad were, were trying to help you um, or in the way that they thought, you know, they, they, they viewed it, but it wasn't exactly what you wanted. Whereas I would say that my sort of reasons why I've not been able to be successful is not about other people stopping me. So, cause you know, when you've spoken to certain guests over the years and they've said, you know, for example, they're going to, I don't know, pick up litter every day, but their family commitments mean that that's not possible or, you know, their challenges to not use uh, packaged food, but that yet their partner is still buying it, that kind of thing. And I think that's come up quite a few in uh, quite a few times in your episodes with people when they're reporting back. But with my particular experience, it's more about the level of my own commitment, not other people stopping me. Yeah, there's a lot of episode 1.5s where someone, before we record the second episode, they tell me they weren't able to do it or it didn't, you know, they didn't have time or something like that. And one of the big reasons is, and I, I now can foresee this one usually, if it depends on another person, then that often, usually before they start, I try to tell them, is there a way you can make it so it doesn't depend on another person. Yeah. Another big one is that a lot of people, here's one, it's a little more challenging for me to discern this one. A lot of times people still pick something that is required, like they, sometimes people, they still feel like, oh, I'm supposed to do something to save the planet. I'm supposed to yeah. do something that's hard. If it's not enough, it's not worth doing. So I better pick something big or okay. something that takes a lot of effort. And, you know, some of mine have been really, minor it, you know when i when i do workshops and someone does it back to me i mm -hmm. end up coming up with something and sometimes it's something like just singing every day for 5 minutes for an x period of time and turning everything off while i do that okay and these little things it's not that they're little you know as long as i'm acting on something yeah then if it's intrinsic then it resonates and those things have had some really big effects on me and so usually a lot of episode 1.5s are going back to re returning back to what the environment mm. means to them and mm. coming up with something and often not, it doesn't have to be much effort. It can be. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to stop someone from saying they're going to, you know, go vegan for the rest of their lives. If that's, mm -hmm. if now's the right time for them, great. Mm -hmm. But it can also be, it, so usually it's going back and, and reconnecting with what the environment means to them. and sometimes relieving them of this feeling of like it has to be something big or it has to be many for a long time or something like that. Mm. Although sometimes it, you know, it could be that when they get recharged, they sometimes they pick up something bigger. Mm. Shall I report back then on what happened? 
Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, what happened? First, let's go back yeah. and and what what is environment mean to you? Do you remember what you what you talked about when I asked? Yeah, yeah. So what we talked about in the the original discussion was my childhood and the fact that the I grew up with quite an expansive woods at the back of my house growing up, and I'd spend a lot of time in those woods with my um, brothers and my sister, and then later my step siblings and just sort of being in that environment where there's, you know, loads and loads of different varieties of trees and bushes, you know, you've got the birds going, you know, at night you might see the badgers, occasionally you'd see a deer, you know, foxes, that kind of thing. So it was a really sort of um, vibrant wooded environment. And we were talking and you were asking me about what that, what, what I associated those memories with, and I was talking about exploration, I think, you know, exploring the woods and, and adventure. Um, and I think I might have mentioned creativity because we used to spend a lot of time making tree camps, you know, mm. using mm-hmm. the materials from the woods to make tree camps and things. And so the, the challenge for me was to use my car less and specifically um, because the main the main um, way I was using my car at that time was to drive to my partner's house, which is 50, around about a, just under an hour's round trip. Mm-hmm. And then walking or a combination of walking and bus, you're looking at around four hours. So it's from about an hour to about four hours. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I committed to that challenge, it was a bright, sunny day, and I was very, very, very enthusiastic. <laughs> <Sorry to> laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was saying, oh, well, I could just sort of rearrange my schedule, and it would be really nice. I could find different ways of doing that journey by combination of walking and bus. Because uh, there's no direct bus. You know, you can get a little bit of the journey done by bus route, but it's it's very convoluted, and there's no direct bus. Um and I said, oh, and we were talking about sort of finding different routes and trying to sort of, you know, organise those routes so they're going through different sort of wooded areas and everything. So linking back to that idea of adventure and exploration and also being around trees. And there were a handful of times when that worked, when I had the time and the energy to do that and I can remember, I, I, when I say a handful, I mean a handful. I would say maybe four or five times, no, probably four, where I did a combination of walking and bus and, you know, had a nice experience seeing different areas. Um, I mean, one of those times it got a little bit stressed because I was trying to meet my partner and his mum and we were, and I was sort of like on the, timetable if you like to try and get there and it was you know I wasn't really enjoying the walking because I was having to really pelt it really really work hard to get there on time but where it went wrong was when I didn't have the time and the energy and also the sort of scheduling and this is really boring for your listeners to hear (laughs) but just to give you the detail of of why things went wrong so this is very boring but it's just what happened so for example uh, my partner and his mum lived together and they were going to go somewhere and I uh, meet them at a cafe, or whatever. And I simply wouldn't have been able to get there in time by walking, by not using the car. And I can remember one particular day thinking, right, well, I've committed to this challenge, um, you know, through your podcast. 
if I'm if to reduce the car use, I simply don't don't meet up with them. I just don't have that meeting. I don't do that. And and I had to sort of, you know, think about whether I was going to, you know, do that or not. And and I went because basically in that moment, I just thought, oh, you know, I do get, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to do. I live on my own. It was a nice social thing to do. And I chose to get in the car and go to that cafe and have that nice experience. And I guess this links to a sort of a question, a general, which I've already asked you in the Ask You Anything. And you, we talked about it earlier about when you went up to the, the farm and that challenge of whether you took the car ride or not. Um, another example of this is that when I had a choice of what I did, did I reduce my pollution or did I feed my selfish needs was um, a couple of weeks ago, I went on a train to Italy. So I booked a trip and I've been planning it for a long time and I went to Italy. So all by train was really uh, having a nice time over in Europe and my partner's mum was taken ill and I had the option then of spending 24 36 hours getting back by train so I knew I, you know I really wanted to get back or it was about in total about waiting time because I couldn't get a flight straight away it was about I think it was about eight hours or something getting to the nearest airport and then getting the nearest flight home and that's what I did I got the nearest flight home so I'm interested to ask you in that scenario, I didn't, to be honest with you, to be totally honest with you, Josh, I didn't even hesitate. I didn't think, do you know what? Do I really have to get back today? Can I get the train? I did not hesitate. I got that plane because she was pretty bad, you know, quite seriously ill and I wanted to get back. And I just wanted to ask you in that scenario, how do you think you would have felt and what decision you would have made? So the, you you said a lot of things there, and there's the should we work on answering that or work on the oh gosh I don't know yeah um, the episode one point five stuff um, maybe because there was another question I wanted to ask you as well so maybe let's start working on the eco the, the challenge stuff first my challenge stuff first and then I wanted to ask you that sort of that question, that scenario question, let's call it, the, the, the of getting a plane back. And then there was another question I wanted to ask you relating to a, re a recent episode that you've had, uh, another episode and something that came up in that. So, but if we've got time to ask those questions, that would be really interesting for me. But if you wanted to first focus on this, my original challenge of reducing my car use, which it's, all I can say is it's been very limited, my success. Okay. So, all right. So we'll focus on that, on that first, then, then the airplane question and then the new questions. Yeah. Now, if you've done it, could, we could say that if you just did it once, then that would fulfill the commitment. I forget if you said, I mean, that would be if, yeah, we didn't. if that was a new experience or you didn't do it even once. No, we, no, no, I did. I did. No, I, you did it once. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would, I would say Three or four times, I didn't use the car at all. I just, you know, used a combination of walking and and bus. So I don't think we specified how many times I should do it. So in, in one way, we could call it success, but you don't feel like it felt like success. So um, what I propose doing is 
to think of a new thing where it doesn't feel where the 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 time isn't as big a component and um i think because i think that in my in my personal experience the more that i do it the more that other things fall into place as i keep doing it like if i originally started you know i originally the big thing i started with was to avoid packaged food for a week but if i had said avoid packaged food forever or go for three years on one load of garbage at that point, or for that matter to say, unplug my apartment from the electric grid, there's no way I could have done it. And, but by the time I did get to unplugging my apartment, it was just a natural thing to do. I mean, I didn't really expect to make it as far as I have so far and still going, but it wasn't a big leap from the thing before. And for me not to like now, if someone offers me a flight, it, it's not a question. I'm, it's like, no, I, I but I couldn't have thought of that before, even when I challenged myself to go for the year without flying, I didn't expect that I would keep going forever. And even after I'd learned that flying London, LA and back was a year's worth of driving in terms of its pollution or its effect on the climate. Even after I heard that, I was like, ah, but I still can't give up flying. And I took one more flight or one more trip after that. And it was when I was lying awake in bed, thinking about how much I was polluting and how much people were suffering for my, you know, my just going to, um, going to Europe for fun. That was, it wasn't until my conscience and my habits got around that I could do some of the bigger things that now don't feel big. They just feel natural. Sure. So going back to the, your experience, by the way, when you're talking about your childhood growing up and, and the mm. animals and I was like, oh man, that sounds so lovely. Because I'm sitting here looking outside and it's like, I'm looking at the city and I would like to look at the countryside. Or not, I guess not countryside, but what you were describing. But you wouldn't, like, well, you wouldn't want to move out of New York then, would you? Well, I'm in New York partly. I mean, I moved to New York because I love New York City, but it's really dirty and filthy the reason I'm here is because this is where the influencing, the people who are in control of these big polluting companies, they're here, they're in Houston, they're in LA, they're in Washington, DC, they're in Silicon Valley. But here's one of the biggest concentrations. I, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And this is the biggest, this is where I think I have the most leverage. Yeah. It's not where I think is the most pleasant. No. But there's a meaning and a purpose that's driving me that is greater than my desire for comfort and convenience. So that's what I, I probably would have moved out because of how filthy it is. I mean, it's still livable. It's, I mean, it's a perfectly livable city and it's got, you know, Museum of Modern Art and Central Park and Drew Gardens and things like that. But man, I'm picking up litter like crazy. But of course the litter's out there too. I mean, I don't, there's less concentration of litter in other places, but yeah, it's because there's less concentration of people. It's still the litter per person is as high. With your t- tenacity and your sort of commitment to do things, I sometimes wonder, because basically what, in trying to lead other people to live a more sustainable life, it's probably one of the most difficult tasks out there because we're so ingrained in our in our um, addiction to polluting lifestyles. And I sometimes wonder, I think, wow, if if you 
had chosen something else, which I know you have had various other careers and done other things before, you could, you might, uh, sorry, I'm just speculating here. Sorry, we're going off the topic, but I just do, if applying that passion and that tenacity that you have to something else, which wasn't quite so difficult, do you think you could, you'd have a more satisfying life? Or satisfying given the state of the world today? No. Okay. Because I, there would be something gnawing inside me. Okay. I mean, with a PhD in physics and an MBA, both Ivy League, if I go into finance or consulting, I would be very rich. Yeah. And I would have, you know, all the material comforts and I'd be, you know, and, and society wouldn't look at me like, what's wrong with you? No, no. no one would say, you know, what you Your do doesn't extreme. matter and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, living more sustainably, the biggest challenge is other people. It's our yeah. culture. That's the problem. And other people saying, especially environmentalists, they're constantly lecturing me on BP and, oh, do you, the BP wants you to look at your carbon footprint so it d distracts from them. As if my polluting less makes me less able to see them polluting and yeah. to do anything about it. But the, um, the, one of the big things about leadership is to, is to, how we vision, how we envision these things. So I don't know if you've heard lately, I've been talking a lot about how I've realized that from a cultural standpoint, and I want to clarify that I don't mean, this isn't for everyone, but for, so there, there, there are people that this doesn't apply to and organizations that this doesn't apply to, but by and large, American culture and also global culture with regard to the environment, and again, for the environment, I don't mean some abstract like parts per million graphs on a, on a charts and things. Mm. I mean, how I affect you, how we affect each other through the environment. Like if I drop litter on the ground or mm. uh, I buy something that causes pollution to be created. With regard to the environment, our culture has abandoned do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm -hmm. It has abandoned and capitulated and resigned on live and let live. Mm -hmm. And it has abandoned, leave it better than you found it. Mm -hmm. These are the principles of, of the golden rule, common decency, and stewardship. Mm -hmm. And I put to you that when given the choice between Big Macs and flying to Machu Picchu whenever you feel like it, and if that's one side and the other side is restoring, leave, leave it better than you found it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and live and let live, I... Most Americans today would pick the flying. They'd pick the Big Macs. But I put to you that if you actually spend the time and restore those things to your life, mm -hmm. and in my experience, that's what being, that's the best part of being human is treating others, considering them in what we do. Mm -hmm. That trade is worth it every time. For every, you know, there might be some psychopaths out there, or I don't know what people who just prefer comfort and convenience over basic humanity, which is how I see it. I mean, well, yeah, I suppose, I mean, this comes back to, you know, coming back to my challenge of reducing my car use and the, the times when I chose to use my car, because in that moment, I wanted to have that social contact to come, you know, to go over and, and, and see my partner and his mum and just have that nice experience. In that moment, I chose my selfish needs over other people that's the way I see it you can't you know you can't and you know like I don't know for example 
every time I put the heating on, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I shouldn't have the heating on. Not that I've needed it that much so far, but and then I, and then I'm sort of thinking, oh well, you know, just give some more money to the um, the uh, charities helping the people in Pakistan. And, and you know, I've got to be honest, that's what goes through my head. Like, well, if I put the heating on, it's not me that's suffering. And it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not a proud of it, but I'm, I'm, I feel for me personally, you know, I have, you know, I'm pretty much vegan. I don't use my car a lot. I work from home, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm not going to be buying new items you know, I'll just get clothes from a charity shop, blah, blah, blah. You know, I do try and I'm relatively lower maybe than some people in my pollution. I actually feel that I, someone like me would benefit from mandation. So um, the, so where, say, for example, it the public transport was subsidised, but the cost of using your car was way more expensive. So there was kind of like, or or there was a, like a, I don't, again, I do try and avoid packaged food, but there was a tax on packaging. Uh, sorry if I'm going off the subject here, but that, I guess in that way, it's relinquishing to a certain extent, my own personal responsibility. It's like, make me do it. You know, what, I, I, I welcome the idea of a green tax on everything. So any service or product that you buy that's more polluting, you pay more. Do you feel like when I say that, that's like I'm missing the point? The frame that you have is when I, I pollute too, and I have the same, I mean, I face the same dilemmas as everybody because I live in, I grew up in a world, I was born to a world that I didn't create. I didn't choose to make a system in which, you know, the supply lines from all over the world and, and, you know, I, I cause pollution in lots of things that I do and I cut back in some ways. In some ways, it's very difficult to get around. And I mean, even if I take public transit, that's still polluting. Mm-hmm. It may be less than driving. It's still more than biking. And even biking, the bike was made somehow. Mm-hmm. So I also know that before roughly the Industrial Revolution, no one polluted. I mean, it's very common for mm-hmm. people to say, look, I exhale, I poop. There's no way to avoid it. I, life means pollution. But things that existed before humans, such as exhaling and poop, because animals do that, and forest fires existed before humans did, I don't call that pollution. That's shuffling things around within the biosphere. And mm-hmm. my poop becomes some plant's food. I mean, it can. It can also be – and you know, people are like, oh, didn't you know that in 1900, street, uh, New York City was covered with horse manure? Mm-hmm. But there were cities – thousands of years ago with with over a million people and then that didn't have that that was more product of actually industry mm. and so when i realized that i live in a system or i live among many systems that cause a lot of pollution i look at those systems and think to myself how can i change those systems as much as i can with oh this is great quote i came across teddy roosevelt you put it in his autobiography but he credited someone else's name i forget but it says do what you can with what you've got where you are. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's it. I'm doing what I can where I am with what I've got. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look away from it and just say, well, that's the way it is. Because so many people, they're like, Josh, you have access to farmer's markets. You're so privileged. They don't. Mm-hmm. As if 
we have to accept that. Mm -hmm. That's why I go to the Bronx and give the workshops on how to cook my famous no packaging vegan stews and go off the grid and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I want to change those systems as much as I can. And mm -hmm. I do donate to some degree to other places, but I more use my time to do that. I mean, that's why I'm in New York City to, to mm -hmm. create workshops and things like that. So I accept that I can't change everything all by myself overnight. And I take the emotion that I feel, the frustration, the despair, mm -hmm. the hopelessness, the helplessness. And in the, in the style of, of um, Viktor Frankl, finding meaning even in Auschwitz, like whatever our situation is now, it is not Auschwitz. And he was able to find meaning and purpose there. And he could create that. And I can do that here. And so the magnitude of the emotion I keep, but the direction I find meaning, I, I connect it to something meaningful. Mm. And hence, you know, that's why I'm nearly 700 episodes into this podcast is because I'm, I believe that I'm reaching influential people and more and more all the time. So I, I don't look at the world as static and, oh, that's the way it is. Oh, well, I pick up the letter. And, you know, I still buy things. Sometimes I get packaged food. And I want to change that. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. No, it does. I think, I think what I'm hearing, what, when you're talking, it's, to me, it's about like a sort of a, a tenacity to sort of keep, keep at it. And going back to my challenge I think there's a couple of ways forward. I mean, one would just be to carry on and, you know, to focus on that, on reducing my car use and seeing if, you know, I can see how I go with that. Um, I think trying to, yeah, to sort of to keep, to keep moving with it rather than com completely giving up is, is a positive. So, Yes. Um, I think that's probably the main area that I pollute, really. Um, I don't know, or, or, or whether I just make a more general commitment to reduce pollution generally. See, here's why, I, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. You're, yeah. Try, you're talking about reducing pollution, but I'm asking you to do something joyful. I didn't say anything about reducing pollution. I mean, there is the constraint yeah. that afterward you look back and say, I left it better than I found it. Yeah. But what can you do to bring that joy or what, what, what emotions did you feel when you were out there as a child in, you know, with the badgers running around? Yeah. The, the adventures and yeah, the adventure and the exploration. I think, I mean, that would really, that does link well with sort of walking rather than taking the car. Are there times that when you walk, you can, you could find adventure. Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, you're right. And those few times that I did do that journey that I normally do by car, just by walking or walking a bus, I did an experience of adventure. So I think, I think maybe like a, you know, a, an ongoing commitment to, to continue to pursue that and to see what opportunities arise. Um, again, this is, you know, there's, 
Yeah. Well, then I. There's lots and lots of boring details that I won't <laughs> go into because it's so boring for the listeners for me to go into all the sort of like day to day possible like constraints on that, uh, which you know. Um, but I think I think on the uh, overall, you know, looking back to, to what we were talking about, I think I think. I think that it's it's hard to just, just distinguish one particular type of thing that links back to my feelings about the environment because definitely when I go into a, a grocery store, when I go into a supermarket, you know, the temptation looking at something packaging and deciding not to buy it is very much linked back to my feelings about the natural world. It, it's a it's a very clear connection. So that's when I set when I'm when I'm saying that it's that reducing the car use is one thing, but I think there's other things day to day that feel nice to do because it links back to a feeling appreciation of the natural world, which doesn't it doesn't feel like um, a, um, a stretch, you know, it just feels a natural response. Like I really do not want to add to the plastic pollution. So I'm looking at that product, you know, it looks really good. It looks really tasty or whatever, but I'm not going to buy it. I predict that there's a couple directions to go here. And I think, I think that if you look at the driving or the, the, the moving places, more generally speaking, yeah. if you take, if you, a few times that, if you look at where's the, what's the adventure that I could have here? Yeah. So, if it's a time when you're constrained, you're going to say, well, no time for adventure, but there may be other times. And if you say, I'm going to channel that childhood experience yeah. and get it here. If you choose when it works for you, oh, I'm going to go adventure this time. Okay. Then the more, and, and you don't have to have a minimum number of times. And, and I hereby officially relieve you yeah. of any obligation to save the environment here. <laughs> okay. Then no, I like I do like that way you framed it because it's like, do I have time for adventure? Makes it sound, you know, it focuses on the real positives of it, and it thinks, right, okay, well, this is an opportunity. It's not a chore. It's not like I'm going to make my life difficult, you know, for the sake of it. But have I got an opportunity here to have a little bit of an adventure and not use the car? And if I have, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. Now you call that positive. I would say it, it resonates with your particular experience and values. Other people might be like, I don't care about adventure. So other people, they'll have different things that resonate with them. There'll always be something because, because yeah. of what nature means, you know, it's always going to mean something to some, to everyone, you know, everyone in, in yeah. their own way. And I predict, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but I predict that the more adventure that you create for yourself, the more yeah. you'll find adventure in other places. So you might be looking at food and thinking, well, that's not very adventurous. Okay. And it also may happen that as you connect more with adventure, other things also pop up and you start thinking, oh, you know, there are other things when I was out in nature. And I don't know what it would be for you, but, you know, a lot of people feel a oneness or connection or calm. Okay. And maybe you'll say, oh man, if I got the adventure by walking those times or biking mm -hmm. or whatever works for the particular times that you do it, mm -hmm. you know, um, taking the train the long way instead of a flight, even if, you know, I understand that in Europe, it's often cheaper to fly than to take the train, even though because of taxing, how it works and the subsidies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, when I took the train across the country and we pulled into LA and because I'd 
brought so much stuff to do on the train and I was getting so much done with the solitude. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, oh, I want this train to go longer, even though it just took 72 <laughs> hours to get there. Yeah. For what could have been a five hour flight. And so you might find access, to, oh, if I got more adventure by doing these things, maybe I can get more calm as well or whatever, you know, your thing might be. Yeah. You okay. More and more of those things. And you'll find, I predict that this route of connect, you know, acting on what nature means to you mm -hmm. will lead you to do the other things that currently feel like obligations more out of adventure and joy and whatever is, is you know, whatever's your thing than if you just try to force it without that intrinsic motivation. Okay. I think that's been really helpful. I think that's definitely put a new frame to it. And I think releasing the pressure on the amount of times I do it, but like, as you say, like focusing on when it would work and when it would produce those positive experiences. Yeah. Cause I, I know you've, you've got to go quite soon. So can I ask you that question about the other guest? Yeah. You got, cause, cause you need to go soon, don't you? Yeah. There was also the flight question too. So your choice of which, okay. where we go. Okay. Well, I'll tell you the, I'll ask, ask you the uh, other question as well, and then you can answer both in whichever order you want. It was, and I forget the name of the guest. You had a guest recently who was an engineer. He'd been involved in battery technology and various things around. Um, he'd been sort of a, he talked a lot about nuclear energy and fossil fuels and the fact that um, renewables aren't renewable. Um, I forget which... Um, what his name was. And he was talking about if the 1 billion richest people in the world reduced their pollution down by 75% and we went down to oh, 25%. Mark, sorry to interrupt, Mark Mills. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. From, from the Manhattan Institute. Yeah. And he was saying, but the other 7 billion um, poorer people on the planet, they're, they're roughly around what's a 1, 2% of what we're producing. And he's saying, but obviously they'll want to improve their lives and they may come up to around 25%. We might meet somewhere, you know, if we all reduced, if 1 billion reduced down to 75 and they were rising up to 25, the net result would be because there's so many of them that you still have environmental catastrophe. And I just wondered whether you had a view on that maths or whether you agreed with that maths that he was basically suggesting that if the 1 billion sort of heavy polluters reduced down to 75%, it wasn't really worth doing it unless the low polluters stayed at a low level, at sort of like, you know, under 10%. And I just wondered whether you had any thoughts about that maths and whether you agreed with his logic. Yeah, the math, well, I agree with the math, but I don't agree with the, that it's applicable in this situation. And yeah, Mark, I really enjoy my, I hope you're, I, I'm curious if, as a listener, did you pick up on the rapport that I, I felt we had? I really like talking to Mark, even though we come from very, we look at things very differently. I mean, we look at the physics and the math very similarly, but I think well, he yeah, he was basically I got a, a feeling from him that he was like, well, you know, I don't want anyone to feel under pressure to reduce their pollution unless it makes them feel good. You know, having a simpler life. I wouldn't, you know, and he was talking about mandation. He wouldn't like mandation. That's where I would kind of differ from that because I think no we really need to be restricted as a race we really need to place restrictions on our greed and our addiction to convenience that's just my view but no it did come across I think it's fascinating the way you can build that rapport with people where 
you know you have some things in common with and, and other sort of points where you might completely disagree but you 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 still you're able to maintain a really good rapport in his case he he writes a lot about how renewables aren't renewable and they're not yeah and there's a whole group of people that are like we got to go to renewable green clean energy and these sources are not renewable they're not clean and they're not green and as long as they think well the other guys are wrong so we must be right it's the catastrophe or i view it as a catastrophe so yeah what he what you picked up on that was a key thing for me that didn't make any sense that well if we reduce then if the if, well we still want them to allow them to go up well the billions going up a little bit is much greater that comparison didn't make I, I i think i see where he's coming from but i think it was more like he takes for granted i think he the his starting point is Fossil fuels combined with human ingenuity make our world better. I mean, look, our lives are longer now than they were in 1900 or 1800. There's less child infant mortality, uh, you know, disease cures and all the, it, it just looks like a much more positive world. And I think people have a hard time imagining, I mean, increasingly calling our situation a failure of imagination, that people can't imagine a world without pollution. And if you start off saying, well, we must pollute or else we're all going to get eaten by bears and mothers are going to die on childbirth and stuff like that. Then, then you reach where he does. But that denies that 300,000 years, we went from a thousand individuals to roughly a billion before the pollution started. started. And in that time, we found, we discovered and, and vaccines and anesthesia and the germ theory of disease and democracy. And we don't need pollution. But if you believe we do, then, well, then everyone has to pollute and you're sunk. But I don't, I don't believe that we need to pollute to live or to thrive and to have Bach and Buddha and Jesus and Lao Tzu and, and Shakespeare. Uh, we, don't, we can have a wonderful society that still includes do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Leave it better than you found it. Live and let live. But I don't think he's coming from that starting point. And I think he and I would have to talk for a long time for either me to agree with him or him to agree with me or us to come to some common agreement or something better than we would have. But that's where I think I, – I, I understand the math that he said, but I don't agree that everyone has to pollute to live or to thrive. Oh, I see. So in terms of the – oh, so, so, so yeah, you, you agree with the maths, but what you'd say is – we could reduce down to 20% of our current pollution and the other 7 billion people could may, maybe they would only need to go up to 15% to have a comfortable life. Is that what you mean? Like that they... I would say we can all go to zero. All of us, you know, everyone on the planet could go to zero. Okay. And maybe some allowances for hospitals, for police stations, for firehouses. And, you know, if we as a Democrat, through a democratic process decided we will use some fossil fuels here. Mm -hmm. And if at some point we find there are ways we can pull pollution out of the air, not just carbon dioxide, but also other pollution, you know, there's PFAS mm -hmm. and things like that and all this plastic, then if we could balance it, and I don't mean putting stuff moving around within the biosphere. If we take something from outside the biosphere, such as fossil fuels, we'd have to move it back outside the biosphere permanently, not temporarily or, you know, hope for the best, which is what CCI, carbon capture and sequestration does now. Then we could do it, but we don't have that. We don't have that ability now. We, I don't say pollute and then hope for the best. Mm. If we solve it, then afterward, because the worst way to solve something is to say 
well, let's keep doing the old way. Mm-hmm. If we stop doing the old way, then we have to find, we'll feel compelled and we'll innovate how to handle pollution. Then, okay, if we can depollute, then let's allow pollution and depollute, but not let's pollute okay. and then hope we can find out how to depollute. Okay. Now, a lot of people think zero, that's impossible. That's a failure of imagination because that means that they can't imagine. They're saying what's impossible is what happened for 300,000 years, mm-hmm. a millionfold increase in the number of people. Six continents living above the Arctic Circle. The Polynesians somehow found Hawaii. How did they find Hawaii? Mm. It's like a thousand miles of open ocean. And they, I think they were rowing. I don't know if they had sailing or not. Mm-hmm. And we need to fly all over the place. Right. Well, I appreciate your sensitivity that, we, that I do have to do my next thing. Mm-hmm. But now I feel compelled to, well, let's schedule. There was like the... the- the, you haven't got time to answer the plane question. If you were in that situation, a family member was ill, you could get back within two to three days by train. Well, I had a couple of experiences that, that influenced me. In my first year of not flying, my uncle died. That was in Pittsburgh. And I was really on the fence of flying or not because at the time I wasn't – flying wasn't as big a negative for me as it is now. And it ended up resulting in my sister, who also lives in New York, to drive there. And so two people driving, we had – it was a longer trip, but we, it was us spending time together. And then later on, when my dad chose to go to India in the height of the pandemic, I made my peace with if he went to a place with lots of COVID, I'm not going to go to India mm-hmm. to, you know, if he died there, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, there's a million things that could happen, but I wasn't going to fly there. Okay. And, but it wasn't a negative of me. I'm not going to go there. I had, Mm-hmm. There's so many other things in life that have become valuable to me mm-hmm. that I'm choosing joyful local things over things like that. So flying has really changed for me. Okay. What it means to me is like rotten, wretched. Mm-hmm. It, it evokes disgust in me. So it's not hard for me to choose away from uh, that. But okay. it took years to get there mm-hmm. and lots of experiences. Mm-hmm. Got it. And incidentally, the love for my nieces and nephews is part of what's driving that. So even if I see them less, but we're solving problems together and I'm leaving a better world for them, mm-hmm. then I don't see the trade-off still benefits. There's still more family sure. connection and community and, and, and meaning and purpose. Yeah. Net. Sure. So I propose we schedule a third conversation to hear how the next thing went. So when we're offline, we can get at the calendars and do that. Okay. Well, Janet, thank you for sharing again, and I look forward. I, I I don't want to have any big goodbyes because we're going to talk again soon. If that's if if that works with you, yeah, always interesting. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Me too. Thank you, and also thank you again. I, I mentioned the gratitude at the beginning, but thank you for also helping me to activate listeners in the way that you have. Sure. I right, talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.